welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Thanks for listening in. If there was ever a time that all of our training and all of our practice was to be put into effect, into skillful effect as coaches, that time is now. No doubt, like me, right now you're playing a, a role in helping the clients that you work with to find a place of resilience or groundedness, connection to themselves, so that they can be leaders in their lives, leaders to the people that they are in connection with. This next series of podcasts uh, we're going to be releasing three, and they're all connected to the launch of our online training program, The Power of Embodied Transformation. And I think, for me, embodiment, my body, is being key in helping me connect to a sense of resilience and groundedness and creativity in these times. As I've been watching the endless scrolling news and the opinion pieces, the think pieces, the perspectives on what's unfolding right now. You know, it's easy for me to, to feel fear and, and react. And so a practice I've, been, I've had is taking a breath. Coming back to my body. Welcoming what's here. Centering. And as I've done that, the quality of my thinking has increased. The quality of my relating and my acting has is increased. And that's what I've been supporting my clients to do. And that's what we're going to be exploring in the podcast today. So a couple of highlights from today. The first is Richard's going to do a long guided centering practice, something that's very effective at helping us shift our state. And the second thing is that we're going to be exploring the Strozzi Institute Arc of Somatic Transformation. And the important thing here is that that opens up distinctions for us realms of of embodied transformation each one of these distinctions is a realm of experience and when we know about it we can help our clients to navigate through it more skillfully so who is richard strozzi heckel well he's the founder of the strozzi institute and he spent decades researching developing and teaching somatics to really a really broad range of people from business leaders to managers, to Fortune 500 companies, NGOs, the US government and military. And he's the author of several books, including the excellent The Leadership Dojo, uh, The Anatomy of Change, and The Art of Somatic Coaching. Let's dive in with this first clip. You're going to hear Richard talking about the way he sees, the way he frames what's happening at the moment with the virus spreading around the world. Well, you know, I'd like to begin with saying that, I mean, I think that in the West particularly, the metaphor that's being used is the metaphor of war. We're going to win this war. We have this enemy. There's an opponent here. We're going to beat it. We're going to crush it, et cetera, et cetera. And that's really a over-fatigued and old-fashioned metaphor that really is not useful for us anymore. You know, the perspective that I have really is that the virus is a living agent. It has its own level of consciousness. Perhaps it vibrates at a different frequency than human beings, but it is a part of the universe. And I hold it less as an enemy and more as a guide. And what is it guiding us to look at? Now, like I said, I want to be very clear that there are people on the front line that are putting themselves in harm's way. And um, there are people that are sick. But from the bigger picture, you know, the, the notion of us looking at what is this pace around work that is driving us so hard, especially since all of a sudden it's gone? There's people aren't working, it just stopped. And inside of that, there's, um, you know, kind of an outbreath, kind of a notion of like, whoa, I can smell the smells of spring, or I can see the blossoms on my Japanese pear tree, etc. So that we continually build the narrative around this that this living thing, which is part of our universe, we're connected to it, we're interdependent and interconnected with it, is actually producing an optic 
for us to look at our lives, both individually and collectively in a, in a different way. And I think that it has a lot to do with pace. It has a lot to do with what are we really doing to our planet? You know, like I know there's places in the world now because of so much transportation cutting down, they're seeing blue sky for the first time in years um, because there's not those toxins in the, in the air anymore. And that we begin to harness not only like let's keep humans healthy and not passing it on, but not just that we can get back on, you know, postmodern capitalism or late stage capitalism or the harder I work, the better it's going to be but really that we, we confront the question of what is important to us. And, you know, as you know, that this is a central question that we have in embodiment and somatics. There's so much we can talk about, but I, I think I want to ask you in the beginning this question, how would you define what embodiment is? In terms of um, transformation, in terms of uh, living a fully human life, I think that it's useful to think about this in two ways. <clears throat> One is here we are, and people talk about embodiment, um, and we're embodied. You know, we, are, we drive our cars, we take care of our children, we tie our shoes, we dress ourselves. And what that is, is that's accumulation of uh, embodying certain kinds of skills that we have uh, over time. So in some way, we can, we can really see how we are historical beings in that way, that we've embodied something. And then one of the things that will often happen is that somebody will come to some intersection in their life, and they realize that whatever was working for them in terms of those embodied skills no longer work. Um, and it's time for a, a, a redesign or a new look at your life, or uh, I'm going in a different direction. And so what is it? that is uh, uh, crucial for me to embody now. And so you practice those things. You might practice uh, being more present and open in your body, what we call being centered. You might practice making more direct requests that moves action forward. You might be able to embody a way that you're holding yourself or shaping yourself that uh, produces and generates more trust in others for you. The other way to think about this is that um, we have historically lost touch with this part of ourselves that we would call, let me call it the feeling cells, or the sensory part of our nervous system, that part in which uh, we can deeply trust our intuition, we can deeply listen to our conscience, we can um, uh, really, really tap into this three billion years of evolution that has actually produced this complex shape that we call the human form. And uh, by tapping into that, um, what, we're, what we're able to do is to uh, gain a wisdom, our intelligence, if you will, um, about these life decisions and about how we want to uh, appear and show up in life. So one is skill building, the other one is that um, let's feel into all this core energy that informs and animates who we are. Mm. Yeah, let's let's unpack those both, uh, maybe in reverse order. So, yeah, this one you just mentioned now, I think is you know actually also if I, if I listen to people that I think are saying important things around the world, um, it's being recognised that this domain you point to of the feeling self or this capacity to, you know, to um, this, this life force that we can tap into is, is incredibly important. And that, you know, we've overemphasized perhaps through the, the kind of enlightenment era and, and um, you know, this uh, over-reliance on the rational mind, we've, we've overemphasized all of that and it's brought many gifts, but at the same time we've lost something. So perhaps you could point us, directly into this domain of the feeling self so that you know we can get a, a sense of it you know like in our direct experience right now even you know well i would invite everyone in this moment to um, <clears throat> take your attention and bring your attention to the life of the body and what i mean by that is sensation and that is uh, temperature movement shape uh, actually, what 
the in, sensation is really a, a, a cornerstone or the ground of, of life and how we feel life. And that's the doorway to move into through coming into um, a relationship, much deeper relationship with this core energy. So for example, as we're sitting here, if I bring my attention to my back and I feel my back against the chair, I feel my sit bones on the chair. And so there's both a settling back and into myself. And by doing this very simple process of, it's actually a mindfulness process in which we're using our attention, then I can start to open up to a certain kind of quietness. So all the busyness of what do I say next or what comes next in my day, how do I plan and so forth, is that all of that can start to quiet down. And as that starts to quiet down, uh, we then enter into another doorway, which we might call a doorway of deepening awareness or an energetic sense. So we have the thinking self, the feeling self, and then, and then the energetic self. And the energetic self is that um, if I'm dealing with a question of, for example, I'm going to um, write today and I'm thinking about what to write and I want to plan about it, think it through rationally. But if I really take that question and move it through sensation, through feeling into this energetic field, this energy field of life, what do I feel then? How do I pick up any message then about what might be a good way to do? So for example, in myself here, when I just did it in that little nanosecond, there was kind of a widening, a widening in myself. And number one, I could just take that widening as I sit in front of this computer and, and write, just that quality of being. Also, I can reflect on it is that um, be open to widening the topic that you're writing on right now. Be, be, be open to more of a broader scope. So that would be an example. How do you know um, when you're making that shift between the, the level of pure sensation and this more, you know, this kind of deeper energetic realm? <clears throat> For me, it's really the sense that um, the... The, the I, the Richard, has been eclipsed. So he, he's less uh, at the head of the table here, so to speak, or to use that metaphor. And um, there's also a deepening quiet. So it's not only just like Richard's not here and getting his speaking in, or, or his, his daily concerns, but really a, a, a deepening quiet I would use a metaphor for myself like a, a, a deep pool of water and a, that has a depth to it. And inside of that, um, I don't feel any contractions or in my body. I, I can feel my breath is dropped and rhythmic. I can feel that my eyes are relaxed and soft. So while I'm looking forward at you, I can also see the peripheral. There's just this feeling of a um a deep lake or a deep deep sky so you know at this point we we definitely move into metaphors because we're finding um the right usage for this notion these notions uh, of an energetic sense but for me that that's what it is mm. yeah no i really feel myself attuning to it as you point it out and that's the beauty of metaphors i think is you know they're um not purely kind of um rational uh kind of tools aren't they they can point us to this direct experience and i'm thinking right now um with what's going on in the world you know with this huge disruption and um you know um with the coronavirus that's that's, that's spreading this so much uncertainty and I, you know, with that, the tendency for us to not be coming from this place that you're speaking about, you know, to actually be kind of reactive and driven and um, how important in these times it can be to cultivate this capacity to access this deeper place in terms of the leadership. Could you say something about that? I, I see, I see very much that, um, 
there are, you know, good people and intelligent, decent people working with this notion of um, how do we cure this? Uh, all these tactical, transactional, scientific moves to make. And, um, you know, what gets thrown off is like everybody relax or everybody just take it easy. But really, like, what do we mean by that? And how do we mean that? So one of the things that I'm telling the, the my communities that I'm involved in and are being asked to speak about this is that the anxiety that will come up through this actually degrades our immune system. It actually makes us more vulnerable to other opportunities to come in and capture us. So at that level, it's a very practical notion that if we learn how to drop into the deepest part of ourself, drop into the wisdom that's already in us, drop into the deep compassion that's already in us, and then begin to act from that, is actually good medicine. It's not only good medicine for ourselves, but it's good medicine for others. And we know that anxiety is one of the most infectious of moods. And anxiety is not just a mental phenomena. It actually lives in the tissues. The shoulders rise, the breath goes up, we begin to tighten, the jaw tightens, we might squeeze you know, our butt cheeks. Less oxygen moves through us then. The, 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 the circuitries of hormones and enzymes and proteins there don't have free access through. Our, our key or our chi energy doesn't. And that's picked up by others. So I can't just say, have my shoulders up here and say, let's just all relax and center ourselves. Because what their, their living tissues their living bodies will respond to will be that tension that I'm holding in myself. Hmm. I think um, it's a great place to invite you perhaps to guide us in um, a centering practice. I know that's one of the core practices you offer and, you know, just remarking here, reflecting on how, yeah, that, that this is an imperative in these times to actually, you know, this is where our practice counts or this is perhaps the time to double down on our practice and how actually um, essential embodiment is in that, or our bodies are in, in that endeavor. Uh, you know. When I'm working with a, a group uh, or a team, or I'm working with an individual either in person or something like Zoom, or even if it's just a call, I'll always start with a centering practice. And I, I propose it this way. I say, let's do this together. In some way, if I haven't already do, introduced that to them in the past, I will introduce them why we're doing it now so we can be more present and more open, more connected. We'll actually be more connected to the mature part of ourself. Um, and we can put in the background the reactive or the younger part of ourself that can so easily get triggered from our past um, conditioning. And I would say, let's do this together. So I'm doing it with them. And I'll say, we can either stand or we can sit. And um, <clears throat> let's begin by coming into our vertical line. Th this line here, we say this is the human line because we're really the only animal that can sustain this line over time. And along our vertical line, let's align our head and shoulders, so our head isn't forward of our shoulders. Shoulders are over our hips. We're letting our weight sink into the, the sit bones. We're letting that weight transfer down into our legs, down into our feet, really into the soles of our, of our feet, and we can feel the ground underneath our feet. And let's, in that straightening, we're straightening and settling. And in that settling, let's relax our eyes. That means let's come behind our eyes. And it doesn't mean anything is blurry what I see. I can see clearly, but because these muscles are relaxed, my peripheral vision opens. And it's one of the steps of of moving into a wider space of awareness, a wider space of consciousness, a state of consciousness that can hold all the ups and downs of our life without us reacting to them.
And we say, let's relax the jaw at the hinge and at the chin. So there's a little space between the upper teeth and the lower teeth. Jaw's not just hanging, but it's, it's, it's relaxed. In fact, the system is designed that the teeth never have to touch. And let's take a deep breath, bring your shoulders up, in breath, bring the shoulders up, out breath, and just let them drop. The system's designed so that the mass, the muscular system, can rest on the skeleton. So either feel that, sense that, or imagine that. Sense into that your muscular system is resting on your bones. The system is designed that the breath is low in the abdomen. That means that when I take a breath in, the abdomen will slightly go out. And when I exhale, I slightly go in. And we drop our attention down to the pelvic girdle. And those sphincter muscles, your anal, genital sphincter muscles, just check to see that they're relaxed. If you're not sure what that is, go ahead and tighten there and then release. And if we move further down into the legs, again, we, we come into the distinction that our muscular system can rest on our skeletal system. So those large muscles, large, strong muscles in the thigh, they can rest on the thighs, thigh bone, lower leg. And here we can say in this line of dignity, a human line, that we're the bridge between heaven and earth. Many other cultures say it in that way. Our feet are on the ground on the planet earth. And we have a moral and spiritual vision. So let's start in our feet to go into width. These three dimensions of length, width, depth. And then we'll go into organizing principle. So your feet are on the ground. And you feel imbalanced. And any time in here, if you need to kind of wiggle in there, you can't feel it, let yourself do it. And then feel a balance between the knees. If you're sitting, feel your sit bones. Balance left and right on your sit bones. Come up to the rib cage. while we're breathing low in our abdomen, we can also feel how the rib cage will go out slightly, almost like a book starting to open or a clamshell starting to open. Sometimes it's difficult to feel that subtlety, but we wanna to move towards that. We wanna to move towards a relaxation in an open state in the body that we can feel the life force moving through us and informing us. Shoulders are balanced and the head's on straight. Now also in width, let's extend out from that line and see if you can sense or feel your clothes on your shoulders, on your torso, your legs. And if there's a four-legged friend in the room with you, a cat or a dog, or maybe you might even have a fish or a bird, Extend out so you start to feel that life form. To my right here, I have a large bouquet of sunflowers. So I'm letting my, my sensing extend out. My attention goes out. Energy follows attention. And I'm feeling those flowers. There are living things too. The table that's right here came from a tree. And then let's extend further out and Include your loved ones, those that you care about. 
their images may appear, their names may appear, but we stay really out of thinking about them and mostly feeling them, sensing them. And that's our width. That's our ability for contact and being porous to others, or even setting up boundaries if we have to. Now let's go into our depth. And I always like to start in the back body because so many senses are in front of us and we're forward leaning and all of our machines are in front of us, our handheld devices, computers, phones, etc. So let's start in our back body. And can you feel the space, those long muscles next to the spine? And if you can't feel or sense any of that, just imagine that, like an embodied imagination. But mostly we're bringing our attention back, back to your sacrum. space between your shoulder blades, your neck, backs of your legs. Imagine you have a big dinosaur tail, one of those big dinosaur tails that Tyrannosaurus Rex have that go back and you can rest back into that. So you're resting back and down, settling into yourself, your history, your teachers, those that have brought you to this moment. And from there, move forward to your, the cavity of your torso and come to your front body, your belly center, your heart center. Let yourself extend that again towards your loved ones, those that you care about. Depth is also, in our somatic distinctions, the place where we say, as evolutionary beings, we're asking ourselves, what now wants to come to form? How now do we want to be? What has, hasn't had shape or form in our life that now is longing for that oxygen, for that fire? Is it a long-withheld joy? Is it a long-withheld rage and dignity? So again, not thinking about sensing into that. And we have three major centers in our body, but let's start with our belly center. So if you put your thumb in your, your belly button and then rest your palm below that, and you feel that sensation of your hand against your, your abdomen, or feeling your abdomen against your hand, we do that because it makes it easier to actually bring your attention down. And that's our center of gravity. Other, other cultures call that hara, or tantien, kaf. Drop your hand away. And from here, if I was working with a client, I would ask them, so what do you, from, from that, listening from that place deep inside yourself, what are you bringing today? Or how can I be of service to you? Um, what would you like me to listen to right now? Um, maybe in a group we might say our commitments. And you can say that commitment to yourself while you're in this embodied state. I am a commitment to And it's always very useful now, really, in that few minutes that we did this practice, what mood did that generate in you? And if it, if it generates, maybe let's call a negative mood, like, oh boy, I see my back hurts, or I see that I'm really worrying about my job now during these times, 
will just really take that in a very affirmative and productive way and going, oh, now that's brought to our awareness and that means we can work with it. It just isn't working on us. We've invited it into the fold of our awareness and we can say, oh, maybe my back's like that. Oh, I see that I'm pressing my low back forward. Let me release it back down again. Or I see that in this moment, there's really nothing I can do about what might happen to the economy. And so it feels fruitless to think that way. But maybe we'll bring it up in a topic, for example. So that's how I start in varying degrees, basically every session. And how we work with teams, big groups, groups as much as I did something for Wisdom 2.0 the other day, and we did this in front of 3,500 people. You can just feel the shift in the room. It's not rocket science. It's actually very, very simple. The more that we do it, the more skillful we'll become at it. And one of the great parts about it, it's non-equipment intensive. You can do it at a stoplight. And I've heard you say before that it's, is it, is it that right? It is clinically impossible to feel anxiety when you've fully centered? In the, uh, the American Diag- Psychiatric Diagnostic Manual, the DSM-4, which talks about the different um, uh, mental uh, uh, diseases and, and mental liabilities, and when it comes to anxiety, one of the descriptions of anxiety is your breath is high and, and rapid. There's a low-grade contraction in your body, and you're running these thoughts, these these. These, these revolving thoughts over and over and over again. So centering is actually a great medicine for anxiety. So when you feel that you're off, you're becoming to get anxious, stop yourself and go through these three dimensions, taking that inventory. You get real good at it. That can be like 10 seconds. Right. And so I, I like how we're talking about embodiment in terms of, you know, it seems like, yeah, there's this moment embodiment is happening. Now we're all embodying something. And then you also, when I asked that question, what is embodiment? You talked about it in terms of kind of a journey, you know, that we've, we've arrived in this place with a certain kind of embodiment and that, you know, we may be um, feeling called to or pushed <laughs> by our lives in some sense to go on a new journey to, to find a new kind of embodiment. So um, could you say something about that journey? You know, um, like how, where, where would you start in that journey and, and how would you move through it? One way to look at this, we call it the arc, an arc of embodied transformation and arc of somatic transformation is the client comes to you, probably because of two, one of two reasons. One is there's this continuing breakdown in their life. The computer engineer sees that after working alone and being an expert computer engineer, he now begins to work in a team. He's now a team leader, and he has a difficult time building trust in his team. And over and over again, that creates a breakdown. Or he doesn't make very clear requests of people. And it causes a lot of mischief and confusion. Um, uh, the children leave the house. You get left. You you, you get uh, um, fired from a job, or you you're laid off from a job. An illness may come. Uh, you lose a loved one. All those kinds of things are like a breakdown. Which a breakdown is is a, a interruption in the flow of commitments that you have, and you feel it somewhat at a loss. And a lot of it is just existential. I don't mean just like to simplify it, but people will say, I've been successful to this point in my life. I see that I have this much more time and I'm, I've lost my way. I've lost my purpose. I don't know what I'm about now. The other way is the person comes and they see this possibility. They see this possibility of a new venture, a new way of being, a new relationship, et cetera, et cetera. And they want to tune themselves up to that. So the first thing we do when that happens is we look at the current body. And I'm going to use body and soma synonymously 
And I'm going to use it to describe the shape. Our, this form is the shape of our experience. And you look at that current shape. And what is, what is that current shape um, uh, 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 telling us? What is it telling us about the wounds that it has, that its history, the wounds that have been healed, the roles that has, has been played, how it's been influenced by how I'm supposed to be in my gender, a man, a woman, a trans person, a gay, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it has to do with, gee, um, how I've been treated because of my race um, or my, my class. All of those things are shaped and live inside of our bodies. And we see this is the current shape or, or the historical shape. And what we do is we begin to have the client begin to bring their attention to that shape. How are you holding these large girdles? Shoulder girdles, are they up? Are they turned in? And we, it's never prescriptive, this means this. But we ask them, what do you notice then? And because, especially in the West, we live in a disembodied culture, it invites people into this conversation of looking at the self and the body are intimately linked together. Who you are and the shape you are are really very, very much inextricably uh, um, wedded to each other. So we, we will look at maybe the head drill forward and they talk about back pain. What happens if you bring the head back? And then that will usually provoke all these other conversations. So you're asking them to learn how to center. You're asking what their commitment is to the work. How do you, does that commitment live in their body? That is in their actions, in their moods, and in their learning. That brings in the notion of you have, you have these conditioned tendencies when you're under pressure or threat perceived or real, what happens is that this old shape will appear to take care. You'll fight, you'll get defensive, um, you'll um, run away, you'll flee, um, you, you'll, you'll freeze, or you might even disassociate. And they become familiar with all of these different patterns. And they get familiar with them, not just conceptually and intellectually, but they feel them in their tissues so that I can feel when I start to get defensive that something begins to tighten in my low back. And I begin to push my breath down and grip, for example. So, and then there's a set of practices that they do. And there's a set of practices that they will do in between sessions. So then they begin to um, uh, shift. They begin to shape, change the shape that they're in. And that usually leads, the current shape usually leads to what we call the unbounded shape. And the unbounded shape is the place where how you're accustomed to being in the world. All of a sudden, you've been married for 25 years, you're divorced, now you're out in the world, and you're a single person. So your shape, that actually is not just a mental phenomena, that happens in your tissues, in your blood flow, in your oxygen distribution, in the way you grip, grip the way you're flaccid. This unbounded shape is, is just a beautiful, beautiful study of how we as human beings transform ourselves. Because what we're simply doing is we're leaving the old behind. We're thanking it for bringing me this far and acknowledging it. But we're leaving that behind and we're have to cross this space in which we haven't come into the new shape yet. It's like the metaphor of your, your, a ship, a yacht at the dock, you've got all the provisions, you're leaving that, and at one point you're out at sea, you look back to that dock and you can't see it. You look ahead to where you're going and you can't see it. And I am just to say, I imagine a lot of people want to rush through that, that part, you know, like um, they want the new shape now, you know, because that uncertainty, that unboundedness is, um, you know, we're not, we don't live in a culture perhaps that, that, you know, says, Hey, 
you just take a bit of time to be unbounded. It's actually great. You know, you might be feeling, um, you know, some disorientation from feeling unbounded, but we'll support you. We don't live in that kind of society, do we? So people kind of, do you find that people latch on to the new shape fast or try to? There's a number of different patterns that happen at this stage. And one of the patterns is what you just described is that, oh, I, I'm leaving that and now I'm going to rush through this. But what can happen in an unbounded state, for example, is that because you're leaving these old conversations, these old perceptions, these old way of beings, even these old relationships, like I'm not going to have the cocktail, two cocktails after lunch anymore. And that breaks up the relationship. That, that There can be grief that can happen at that point. A grief will come up and it's then necessary to work with that grief about that. We may say that, oh, what happened in that those times created a wound in me. And I need to actually begin to deal with that wound so I don't take it into the new shape. And that means that you're not building practices over a deep wound or part of your structure that, that's, that is um, imbalanced or a liability. So we, we look at, we look at ourselves and going, oh, I came to this place because of these things. One of the powerful things to learn here and we, we teach um, in our coaching uh, tracks is actually how to do body work on somebody where somebody can lie, lie down and through breath work, through touch, through gestures, through certain sounds, you begin to, the, the, you begin to break open those boundaries or those armoring bands. They're called armoring bands that we have and they begin to dissolve and you come into this new shape. And that's the place where somebody goes, wow, this is kind of scary. Let me get to the new place. Some people will get there and they'll go, whoa, this is too much. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. The art of it is having people hold steady. It's okay. We can go three, three steps forward and two back. But inside of this too, is a, it's like a great protoplasmic ocean where there's all these possibilities that can happen I always like to quote that Einstein said he, he discovered the theory of relativity in his muscles. He was taking a hot shower one day and he discovered it in his muscles. And um, that it's in this place where we begin to see the open sky. We begin to see that, oh, I have a lot more choices than I ever thought that I had before. And then when somebody sees that, may they go, that's kind of scary. And then you work, work with that. So this unbounded state, you know, um, in each session, there may be a section of that that will occur, that kind of opening, that kind of awakening. And, and it may be uh, uh, six months, it may be a year. Somebody has deep trauma, maybe two years. Well, I, I just, I think that's a beautiful um, point to make there actually that, yeah, whilst this arc could be said to be taking place over six months or a year, and I want to ask you in a moment, you've said so many things that I could ask you about, like commitments and um, conditioned tenants and so on. But this, this arc lasts six months or a year, but it also happens within a session, you know, that somebody comes in um, and they are, then you can help them as a coach to recognize their embodiment that they've come in with in some way so that it becomes conscious and then um, how that might be taking care of something for them and, you know, which might then allow for the kind of moving into that unknown place, you know, where it's emergent. There's something we've moved beyond the habituated sense of self and it's very fertile. And then something can, can emerge some kind of insight or clarity that then can land inside of the embodiment again. Is that, is that something you find? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it in that moment of the, that session, there can be that opening and they, they maybe see that possibility or they t simply take a deeper breath. And in taking that deeper breath, they, they recognize, oh, all this, all these years of being timid and shy and not speaking, I actually can do that. That's actually a possibility. And so inside of that, there's this notion of how life could now be and um 
because it is just in that moment and perhaps not embodied, and we'll get to that, is that then it'll be like, we, we just took three steps forward and now we're going back two and a half. But that basic moment can still live in the tissues of that possibility. Yes. And um, before we talk about the, the new shape, I think, how do you um, help people? I imagine, you know, that there's um, a sense of like, it's taking care of something for someone, this old shape they've come in, you know, with these um, certain habits, you know, or orientations. It's like, it's actually was an intelligent kind of strategy or, you know, comp um, uh, compensation in some way. So I like that you say we don't build on, you know, we don't build stuff on top. We actually allow for that unbounded space to happen. But could you say something about, yeah, that how do you work with that sense of, you know, honoring perhaps even that, that old shape and that what's hidden within it? it it's, uh, it's common that, that people, when they begin to see the, the old conditioning that was actually taking care, taking care of their safety, their belonging, their dignity, for example, that um, when they, when they be, begin to have this opening, they look at that, that pattern now and, and feel critical of it, or they even may, may feel ashamed of it. And um, just going, God, how do I get rid of this? This, this just held me back for so long. And what's important then is to guide them into the, to the view that that history was actually an ally and a support to help them come into uh, the state that they are now, the shape that they are now. And um, so maybe if I continue that example, the person that was timid and shy, maybe and more withheld, maybe that kept them safe from a father or mother's physical abuse or yelling at them because it, because the organism has a vast intelligence about it. It's that 3 billion years of we're going to adapt, we're going to survive, and then we're going to continue to recreate ourselves. And so we look at that place inside of ourselves somatically and we, we take, it's almost like a ritualized moment in which we give thanks to it. Um, sometimes I'll ask a person to go really inside themselves. And when that comes up, I will say to them, um, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for taking such good care of Joel all those years. And that usually hits people as a really extraordinarily kind of tender moment. And they'll have a kind of a deep felt sense of emotion or, or kind of a celebratory joyful moment of like, oh yes, this has been my partner now. And I don't have to um, let them run the show anymore because I see that we're moving into new landscape, new territory, but they're still in my house. They're still here. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think there's something about, you know, that, that you know, I see it in, you know, for example, like internal family systems or something where if we can be present to that, um, you know, that, that part of us that, that arose in response to our life circumstances in a way where we say thanks or we acknowledge that it was protecting us, uh, then it feels seen and it begins to relax somewhat, you know. And I wonder for you whether, you know, what happens then um, on an embodied level? You know, you talked about this armoring. Is it like, you know, once that somebody's had that kind of ritualistic experience with a part or this aspect of them um that it begins to naturally unwind or is there a process of you know um then kind of um using other techniques to to release this armoring or you know could you even do that through awareness perhaps you know because a lot of people work on online or not they don't do body work per se yes the um there's a number of ways to to begin to bring your attention to where you're most armored. And one is in one of the most powerful, these are all powerful, but a really uh, underpinning is that of your, your awareness, your somatic awareness, that you keep bringing your attention to that part of your body. We know that energy follows attention. So you're bringing life to that part. And then from there, <clears throat> um, we gain that 
overall sensibility. And then, and then from there we go, so in order for that to release or dissolve or let go, what new practices do I need? So I bring my attention to, oh, my breath is up my, near my collarbones. I'm just going to take a deep breath, let it out, and make four conscious breaths right at my belly. So uh, I'm going to, what I'm going to do is that I'm going to take a 20-minute walk every day. Maybe I do that already. I maybe even do that in the gym. And what I'm going to do is that I'm going to, as I walk, practice my vertical line. Instead of my head forward or I'm tipped forward, I'm going to practice that vertical line. Um, inside of the coaching, um, we could have people actually speak to that history, actually speak to that history from an embodied state and include it into your belly center, include it into your heart center, into your, into your eye center, for example. Um, and then there's places where even in Zoom, for example, you could have somebody here do this to this part of these tissues of the eyes here and below the eyes. You could even exercise the eyes by looking left, right, left, right, up, down, and do that enough so you're actually stretching those muscles. You can say, let's, let's take these next three minutes and we're going to breathe the deep, five of the deepest breaths that we can. And what you're doing is that by breathing those deep breaths, you're shifting the acid alkaline balance, you know, that ionizes calcium and that changes the, what's happening in the bloodstream and a charge gets built up. And as that charge gets built up, what happens then is that these, these bands will usually start to open and shift. So there, there's innumerable ways to do that. Yes, innumerable ways. Uh, um, yeah, just before we talk about commitments, um, um, the question I have is like when you're sat with somebody, you've already spoken about this, but um, how would you start to help them see their current shape? Um, you know, perhaps you might be um, seeing things about the way they're embodied. You know, um, how do you bring that into the conversation? And, um, you know, do you, for example, get them talking about the, the topic that they want or the commitment? Maybe we have to talk about commitments here. Maybe they're talking about the thing they feel commit a commitment to. And then that brings up their current shape, you know? So how do you help them begin to see their current shape in the conversation you're in? Let's go back to the example of the uh, computer engineer who enjoyed great success as pretty much of a solo performer. I mean, he might've worked in a team, but he did all of his work basically alone or he just did it through his computer. And then he was so good. They thought, well, this, he should be a, um, a team leader and he can't build trust. And he says, you know, I, I read all these books on trust and nothing works and I've seen videos and doesn't work. And so we're talking about it and, uh, you say to them, you know, can I give you an observation I have as you're talking to me? He says, she says, yes. And you say, I, I notice that it's hard for you to keep eye contact with me. You're talking to me, but you'll look aside or up or down with that. So that would be a simple way to say, did you know that you're doing that? And for many people, because they live in a disembodied um, culture, it might reveal something brand new to them and be extraordinary in that way. No, I didn't. Why, why would I do that? Or what's it like for you when I do that? Um, and then the art of it then is drawing a line between that and their commitment. In other words, let's ref what do you reflect on that not by not looking people in the eyes for a sustained period of time when you're talking to them, would that interfere with trust? Yeah, go ahead. Well, just, just so that you're in, that often what happens when we're working somatically, it will provoke questions. It, uh, that scene will provoke an insight or a view or a perspective that will provoke a question in them like, wow, is it something that simple? Is that what I'm doing? Now, from there, the unbounded state, as we talked before, you could just do the practice. I'm looking in their eyes, but you could be building on something deeper. And maybe the deeper thing is 
what they hold, as many of us do, humans are dangerous. Humans are dangerous. So I, I got to watch them all the time. I'm not going to look in the eyes. So you actually have to get deeper in there, into that conversation, and see where that lives in the body, where that lives in the tissues. And then the notion of, oh, I have a right to be here. I, have a, I want people to see me, to look in my eyes, and I want to look in their eyes, because I know that in our culture, that's what's one of the things that builds trust. Maybe, maybe in um, Central Africa, it's a different culture. They don't do that, but in our culture. Yeah. So just following that example, it's like somebody's wanting to build trust and they're, they're not, you know, they're, one of the things you notice is they're not looking you in the eye. And then as you, as you bring that into the conversation and they begin to notice that, then they may start to feel underneath that a sense of like, I don't, I don't trust that it's safe to be in connection. I don't trust people. And that then we can begin to kind of honor that sense of lacking of, of trust in a way that, it, you know, and that takes us into that unbounded space that you're talking about. Yeah. Correct. Beautiful. And that, that whole piece is it realizes not that the reason it's me that doesn't trust people. Right. They pick that up. And, you know, we say that could be six, 12, 15 sessions because that's really at the core of things. Right. So really taking the time with it. Yes. In other words, when that captures me, what is the felt sensation of that? Because when I fall into fear, that has bodily response. And, um, you know, we talked about this word commitment, but I think it's really key in this approach, isn't it? That, um, you know, one of the things that's um, guiding the whole process is that somebody's clarified something they're committed to. You know, perhaps in this case, I'm a commitment to um, installing trust in the people that, you know, that I'm leading uh, or being a trustful leader or something. So could you say something about the, the nature of commitments, why they're so important? Commitments um, are, one, they bind people together. And they, they deepen connection and they deepen contact. And we find that over over overall that when we have that level of contact we are social beings that we feel uh, empowered we feel acknowledged we feel authenticated we feel a dignity of right to be here um, uh, the technology and neuroscience now can go right that's when these these hormones get released and we have that feeling of well-being so there, there's, there's that piece. And then, then there's this, this piece of, um, I, again, we go back to, I learned how to do this because it took care of something. It was actually a deep intelligence working in me so I would feel safer, more loved, more seen, et cetera, et cetera. And now I've actually outgrown that. And just for some people to have that moment of going, oh, I've actually outgrown that now. You know, I make, you know, late stage capitalism, sign of success. I've made this much money. I raise my children. I'm seen as doing good work. I'm, I, I'm actually at a different place in my life. That alone can be extraordinary for people. That history, which I thank and acknowledge, no longer has to be um, running the show in the driver's seat. And then I imagine, yeah, there's this kind of galvanizing aspect of the commitment, yeah, like that it's actually um, pointing towards the, 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 the new shape and the practices that will help one em embody that commitment, not just hold it, you know, as um, something they're aspiring to. It opens that, that, that future space. It opens the hope and the, and the possibility and the power of that future space. The, the other thing that that commitment does is that it begins to put us in the driver's seat. In other words, uh, so many people can just be in the current of things, and that's fine. 
you know, because there's a trickle down effect or whatever. Um, many, many of us have that kind of a privilege. And then there's a moment where somebody will say, I want to set my sail this way. I have a very short pilgrimage on this planet and I'm not going to take my impatience to my grave. I do not want people to say in my tombstone, he was impatient or he was angry all the time or he was stingy or whatever. I'm not going to do that. Or what I'm going to do is that dream of writing a book. I'm going to complete that book. So it's that moment when somebody says, and now I'm setting my sail in that direction. That opens this conversation here, Joel, of people going, then what new practices do you need to take on to do that? Who do you need to become to do that? What is the network of people you need to support you to do that? Who might be a committed listener, a good friend, a coach, a guide, a mentor, a therapist that can bring you into, into that moment? And then saying, I know I'll be successful when. The book's kind of easy. I'm going to finish that by January 1st, 2021. Other things are more existential, which means I want to have more pe people will say, I want more peace in my life. How do, you, how do you measure peace? Not so much I'll know it, because we can often become legends in our own mind, but going, it may be that the question would be answered by the question of what is it that brings you peace? You know, if I walk in the woods, at the park, near my house, wherever, that brings me peace. So the commitment then, or the condition of satisfaction will be, I'll do that four times a week. And by doing that, maybe walking in this external environment, they learn how to internalize that. So when that's not available to them, they can draw it internally into their life. There's a thought that comes up of, um how important that is um, that we kind of land in that sense of sovereignty or self-authorship. And I'm wondering um, in your own life, I'm, I'm playing with this sense of how sometimes it's as if I can tune into what life wants with me, you know? So um, mm. what's the commitment that life has for me, if that makes sense, you know, in this language, it's like, um, uh, it's it's been incredibly important for me to to develop that sense of like defining my what I'm committed to, and I still live in that endeavor. And then I'm also working like beyond that, you know. Um, what is it to kind of open to what life um, has um, in store? You know, what life wants with me, or in other words, you know, what what's the commitment that life wants me to take on? Does it? So what, what comes up for you as I share that? No. Well, I, I, love, I love the question. I love the question. I love that you can be in that question. And, um, it just, it seems that someplace that, that's a critical place. And that one of the things that's been revealed to me in my own process and then in the process of working with thousands of people is that what can get in the way of that is what we've inherited or what we've adopted. In other words, what does the world or the universe want of me? It's a tiny universe. And it's what have I, what have I inherited through my parents, through my school, um, what I've inherited because I'm a white male, norm, straight guy, et cetera, et cetera. So that, those things can come up. And, and I've seen you know, that the more that we can get quiet and the more that we can move inside of ourselves and feel the freedom of our breath feel our muscles relax, feel ourselves open up, that, that the answer comes from a deeper place rather than what we've inherited. And it may come up and going, God, you know what? I, 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 long, for, I long for nine months of not doing anything. Because I, I, what I need is I need space to go, what does the universe want of me? And then me goes, well, how do I do that? Or what does that mean? Then there's a contraction again as opposed to let's just be with that. Yeah, I love that. And I think um, it comes back to that place you pointed to this deeper energetic space where actually for me, if I 
you know, relax, if I, if I develop that capacity or open to that, then there is this sense of, um, you know, it, I, I'm not in my kind of strategic self that's kind of, you know, trying to uh, make life work. It's like, no, there's something kind of coming through me almost. And, um, it has a kind of intelligence to it, which is, um, unmediated by that smaller self, you know, it's, it's a kind of, um, yeah. And, and, and skillful, it has a kind of skillful impact, innate skillful impact to it. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's, um, a capacity that perhaps we could do with more of in the world. So. Yeah. So um, the, the, there's the place where if, if we're stay in the old shape, that bounded shape, we stay in that old shape, the world may be pounding on our door with a sledgehammer and setting off fireworks with a big, big, sle- you know, big loud sounds of ringing the bells. But because of that old shape, we don't listen to it. And then when we start to de-armor ourselves, unbound ourselves, we go, wow. And then we realize that's been there for years. It's actually been called to work with these kind of people, to create this kind of piece of art, to build a garden. Um, That's actually always been there. But because of what I thought I had to do or should do or needed to do, there was no ears for it. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful way to to frame that. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. Well, that's a beautiful um, journey that we've been on today, actually, um, uh, especially after the technical issues we had yesterday. This feels like a completely different experience. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I'm really grateful that we've had the time to speak. And um, is there anything you want to just say as a parting statement or or, you know, uh, words or something i um uh like you really went oh this is new day new event and we both went with it and this is how it turned out we both feel satisfaction and pleasure in that i appreciate you putting yourself um uh, out like this to have this kind of work and um that i want to say that you know to people that one of the things that so for, I was always like a body oriented psychotherapist, but I, and I, and I had a body oriented, uh, body works, uh, um, uh, practice. But as I went through my training in, in the training psychology, it became very clear to me very early. Um, a lot of this is because of my background in the bodily arts, but very clearly that psychology brought me to a, a, a gate, a gate of awareness, but it never took me through that gate. You know, I had insight, I had awareness, and it was like, well, I can collect a lot of awareness badges, but I'm still behaving the same way. And I want more depth, more openness, more of these things. And that really comes from, one of the ways that really comes from is working through our bodies. And that's really one of my missions is to bring towards those of us that are advocates for people and we work for people is that include the body 